0: So do you know what time church is starting next Sunday? Let me hear it. 10.45, okay? So I don't want you to be late. It'll be very embarrassing if you show up at 11.15. We will single you out. In fact, Bert is going to be the head usher that day, and I'm just going to tell him to bar the doors. Like if you come that late, we're not even going to let you in. Now we'll let you in. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna meet at ten forty five. It is gonna be a joint service for these uh, four weeks of uh, Advent and then for Christmas. Um, so uh, feel free to come up into the transept if you want to be close to where the action uh, is. Um, Sunday school will happen at nine thirty. Okay, um, I've been teaching. Uh, the adult Sunday school class. This was my third week. I'm having a lot of fun. I don't know if you guys are having fun, but I'm having a lot of fun. We're uh, really talking about American church history and uh, how what was going on in the nation showed up here in our congregation. I mean, in some in some sense, uh, this church uh, is a microcosm of what, what was happening uh, more universally, and so we're taking a look at what's happening more broadly in the church, but uh, how that showed up uh, here this week, this uh, 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 here in this church, and so next week uh, I'll continue that. I'll do that for another three weeks, and so I would encourage you to come out. Um, how did Joan? How did we do on the donuts, by the way? So here's the deal: uh, there there is coffee and donuts in the adult Sunday school class, and. Uh, First week, I thought, you know, I'm going to get a dozen donuts. That'll be enough. And I thought, no. You know, it's embarrassing. Like, you invite guests over and you don't have enough food. It's better to have too much and put it away later. So I said, I'm going to get two dozen donuts. Well, they, they were all gone, and I didn't even get to have one. And so then the next week, I said, Joan, bring me three dozen donuts, and they were all gone. So this week, I said, four dozen donuts, and I did get one this week. Oh, I haven't touched those. You hid them, so she, so she hid them. All right. So please come out. Uh, it, it, it's a lot of fun, uh, and it'll be it'll be nice, nice to see you. We're we're meeting in, in the Boyer for that. Okay. So uh, ten forty five uh, next week. This this uh, afternoon at four o'clock, if you want to come back, there's going to be a, the uh, the children's choir is going to be doing uh, their their concert. Um, And so they're very excited. This is the first time they've done this. This is their first, I guess they call it a recital, right? Is it a recital? Yeah. Um, And you're not charging anything at the door? Not this time. Once they become famous, there's going to be a big charge to see the children's choir at Huntington Valley. Um, And next Tuesday, uh, we have our Thanksgiving service, which is always a very sweet service. Uh, We have it here in the evening at... at, uh, 7 o'clock, we do some scripture readings, we sing some songs together, um, and uh, we share testimonies of thanksgiving. I mean, so often when we come before God, we come asking for stuff. Oh, you know, I need this, I need this. Uh, but on Thanksgiving, the only prayers that we're going to offer are prayers of thanksgiving, okay? So uh, it actually is a very, it's a very pleasant service, and I would encourage you to mark that on your, on your calendar, What I want to do this morning uh, is talk about five images for the church that the Bible gives us. The the Bible actually provides a whole number of different uh, metaphors or images of what the church is, um, and I thought, it would be good to uh, remind ourselves of some of the things that the Bible says about the church. One of my concerns is, is that as Americans, as people who are very independent-minded, and I hate to say it, but as people who are also very materialistic and commercially driven, we sometimes think of the church in a way that is inappropriate. We think of the church maybe as a, uh, As a club that we join, you know, because we have some kind of common interest, or maybe we think of the church as, you know, it's a venue that you go to to get certain kinds of music or certain kinds of uh, of lectures. Um, The church is a thing unto itself, and the founder of the church is Jesus Christ. All right, so it's a divine institution, and it's a it's a real mistake to say, well, you know, that the church is just a human institution. You have some people who say, you know, uh, I like Jesus, but I don't like the church. I was going to say that they're just liars. Well, maybe that they're, they're just mis- they're, they're, they're mistaken. You can't like Jesus and not like the church. Okay, why? Because the church is Jesus's church. Okay, and uh, as followers of Jesus Christ, when we uh, step into a relationship with Christ, we also step into a relationship with His church. Okay, to be a Christian is to go to church and to be part of a church and to be part of that living organism. And I, and I, I want us to be very careful to not have the mistaken idea that I'm a Christian simply because you know I can affirm. Uh, certain doctrines that are in the Apostles' Creed. I mean, I'm glad that you can affirm those things, but being a Christian is to be a disciple of Christ, and the way that we work out our discipleship with Christ is to be embedded in the body of Christ. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. Okay, To be a Christian is to be in the body. Now, I understand that the body of Christ is full of you know, difficult people, you know, like me. And if you're going to be involved in a church, you got to be around difficult people. Uh, but those are the people that God has given you. One of the things that you'll discover is, is that your own sanctification, your own becoming more and more like Christ is only produced by hanging around with difficult people who maybe knock off the rough edges from you. Okay. So the, the people that you have trouble with in church uh, God sent them to you for, uh, for an important reason. So I want to talk about five images that the Bible gives um, uh, for the church. One is that the, that the church is a family. The other is that the church is a body. Uh, the third is that the church is the bride of Christ. The fourth is that the church is a temple of God. And the fifth is that the church is a lampstand. Now, there are other ones as well. You probably can think of some, but I'm just going to talk about those, those five today. So let me begin with the church is the family of God. I don't know how you think about families and maybe some of you uh, have wonderful families and, and uh, all of your associations with families are warm and endearing. Some of you might have very difficult families and so for you this, the, the image of a family may be a more a, a troubled image. What we see in scripture is, is that um, the family of God is the locus of Godly love for one another, and it is the locus of loyalty to one another. Our family should be a place of love and loyalty, and the church as our extended family is a place of love and loyalty. First Peter 2.17 says this, Show proper respect to everybody. Love the family of believers. It's a primary command okay that we are called as as to, to be as a follower of christ you are obliged to love the people who are here in this room all right you can take a look at them a little bit later i don't want you making any eye contact with them now because you're supposed to love those people some of them are really nice some of them are pills and guess what you're supposed to love them all all right, that, that's the command of, uh, of Scripture. 1 John 3, 1 and 2 says this, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. John the Apostle, John who uh, is called the one whom Jesus loved, he's referred to repeatedly uh, in the Gospels as the disciple whom Jesus loved. John is just marveling at the fact uh, that the Father loves us. And the way that he expresses this love is by calling us children of God. I don't know if that strikes you as funny. I mean, I, you know, it makes sense that God is the creator. I mean, he made, he made the worlds, he made the suns and the planets, and he made this out of nothing. But why would he call us his children? He wanted to call us his children. All right? And it's very clear that when we come into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, we go from being aliens and strangers, we go from being orphans to being adopted children of God. Here's how the Apostle Paul puts it. This is in Romans chapter 8. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons and daughters of God. You did not receive the spirit of bondage to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. All right, so when we're called into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit gives us this this spirit of adoption, we're no longer strangers to the household of God. We're no longer uh, uh, just servants of the household of God. But the God that we worship is also our Father, and we're we're allowed to address him as Abba or as, as Daddy. Paul goes on and says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. I, you know, part, of being a, part of being a child of God is that Jesus is your brother. I don't know if you think about it that way. Jesus is God. He's the second person of the Trinity, but he's also your brother. And everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to you, your joint heirs. What by union with Christ, what belongs to Christ becomes, becomes yours as well. All right, which is why you know we look forward to the glorification of the body one day and the resurrection. Which is why we will spend eternity uh, with with God, the, uh, with with God uh, in the in the New Jerusalem. Everything that belongs to Christ belongs to us because we are joint heirs, and whatever is true of Christ then becomes true of us. This is the family that we've been adopted into, and because of the love and the loyalty that God has shown for us we're able to show that love and loyalty for each other. Second image that we uh, have for the church, it's probably the one that we use most often, is that the church is the body of Christ. Now, usually when we talk about the body of Christ, and we often do this when we are ordaining uh, deacons and elders, we talk about the different roles that different people are called to. So a church is an organism, and an organism has different parts that do different things. Uh, you're here, you know, for an hour or for a couple of hours on a Sunday morning, but all through the week there have been people who've been at work making Sunday morning happen, okay? Uh, the choir's been rehearsing on, on Thursday night. The band's been rehearsing on Wednesday night. The, uh, the people in the office have been working all through the week uh, scheduling things uh, to make things happen on a Sunday morning. All of those different parts are required for the organism to work. And so Paul talks about the body of Christ uh, as a way of making sure that we are honoring people in the church even though they might have a different function than us. So the doorkeeper in the house of the Lord is as honorable as the priest in the house of the Lord because you have to have the doorkeeper and you have to have the priest. You have to have all of those things. That's one of the features of the body of Christ imagery, but I would like to draw your attention to the fact that a body, your body, for example, hangs together, it's one thing, it's made up of, I don't know know how many bones you have in your body, how many organs, you got a whole bunch of different parts that are hanging together in your body, and when your body is properly ordered, it's able to do something. Well, you got here this morning, you got in your car, you drove, He came through the door. There are different things that your body did as a unity. Your spleen was working this morning so you could drive to church. Your eyes were working this morning so you could drive to church. All of these different parts are working together for one purpose. All right? Now, in in the case of who of you. You know, it's your, it's your brain that's telling you what you're going to do. Your, your intellect, your mind is going to make the decision about what you're going to do and all the other parts of the body fall into place. Christ is our head. He gives the marching orders and all of the different parts of the body are working together for that one purpose. All right, So the church has to be unified with regard to its purpose. A church needs to be pulling in the same direction. Uh, a church that you know, has got different factions that are pulling in different directions. Oh, we want to do this, or we want to do this. This is a church that's going to die. Okay. The healthy, well-ordered church is pulling in a particular direction in a particular direction. Now in one sense, every church does the same thing. Every church is proclaiming uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything, every church is taking care of the people of God. But in another sense, uh, each church has its own personality Um, can you help me, Joan, Um, has its own personality and uh, has its own distinctive calling. There is a particular calling for this church. We've been called uh, to a particular kind of ministry in a particular community, and we need to do that together as a unified body. So we're unified with one purpose. Third, the third image is the the bride of Christ. Well, our Old Testament reading was from, from the... Prophet Hosea, where we read, in that day declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. So in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, God talks about God's people corporately, not individually, but corporately as his bride. All right? This is very intimate imagery. I don't know if you think of yourself having union with God in that way. Uh, but the imagery is both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. We know that uh, the day will come um, when, we, when there will be a, a, a feast, a, a marriage feast uh, in heaven. And the whole church will be there. And we're going to be celebrating with the bridegroom, uh, Jesus Christ. Um, two things I want to say about this image. One is, is that the bride is the partner of the bridegroom. You, the church, corporately, not individually, the church corporately is the partner of God. Okay, in the same way that a spouse that a spouse is a partner to the other spouse. Okay, the, the, the spouses are independent creatures in some sense, but they've been yoked together for a common purpose, and the church is yoked with Almighty God. What we're doing here this morning and throughout the week is part of the work of God. I don't know if you think about that. This is very different than thinking, oh, you know, the church is a place where we go, where we go and like hear about God or talk about God. I mean, do you think of yourself as doing the work of God that what the church is doing is married to the work that God is intending to do here in this world. We are the partner of God in what God is doing in this world. That's part of the imagery of being a bride. A bride supports her husband and shares in the work of the husband. And the two of them uh, function you know, as one will and one direction in their lives. So there is that, uh, uh, that, that imagery. The other imagery, of course, uh, you know, with a bride is, is that the bride is treasured. Who is more beloved than the bride? Right? This is the this is the highest. This is the highest thing that a man can say of a woman is, is that I want you to be my bride. Alright? And those of you who are married, you know that your relationship with your spouse is more essential is deeper, is more profound than even your relationship with your children. You understand that, right? Your, uh, your primary relationship, if you're married, is with your spouse. If your primary relationship is with your child and not your spouse, something is disordered. All right? You love your kids. I'm not saying you don't love your kids. I love my kids. But I need to love my wife even more than I love my kids. My kids need that, right? Right? All right. And this is the kind of relationship, this treasured relationship that we've been called into with God. Man, God loves us in this crazy way. All right. Now, it's demonstrated in a thousand ways. But one of the ways that it's demonstrated is, is that Jesus lays down his life for the church. The problem with the church is, is that the church is made up of a bunch of sinners. Right? A bunch of rebellious, selfish wicked people that's what the church is made up of uh and for god to have a special people for himself he's got to solve that sin problem we can't fix it like there's no way that we can turn over another leaf and all of a sudden be good enough to hang out with god for all of eternity and god is not going to give up his holiness just to hang out with us either okay so there's this problem you have the holiness of God, which is a burning, blazing light, you got us who are kind of messed up and dark and twisted, but he loves us anyway, and he wants to be with us, uh, how's he going to do it? He's got to interpose Jesus between the two of us. Jesus becomes the bridge between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. Jesus becomes the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus becomes our righteousness. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, our sins are washed away and we receive his righteousness. And so then we can stand in the presence of God and it's fine. All right? God loves us so much that the second person of the Trinity, thank you, Joan. So, you know, in, 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 the, in the body of Christ here, I'm, I'm the vocal cords. <coughs> and Joan is the bringer of the water that keeps the vocal cords working. So thank you. I appreciate that. God loves us so much that he sent his son into the world to die for us. So that he could call us to be his bride. All right, That's who you are okay, as the church. Don't disrespect the church and treat it like it's just like a club or a volunteer organization. The fourth image that we have uh, in Scripture of the church is that the church is the temple. Now, a temple is a place on earth where God lives. And I say that maybe in quotation marks because obviously we know that God doesn't live in the temple But there was this understanding that there in Jerusalem, in the Holy of Holies, at the mercy seat, that that literally was the footstool of God. Okay, that's how they imaged that. So it was the place of God's presence. So a (coughs) a temple is a place where God's presence is known in the world. God who, of course, is outside of the world. God who is holy and who is separate. And the world which is fallen and dark. The temple is this kind of magical meeting place of these two worlds. And guess where that magical meeting place is? It's here. Okay, We're the place. We, the church, are the place where God who is outside of space and time meets the world which is in space and time. In the church is the place where God penetrates the world. We are holy and God inhabits this place. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes. Uh, this is in Ephesians chapter 2. He writes, In Christ, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. In him you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Okay, So Paul is talking to the Christians at Ephesus and he's saying, you know, you're a, you're a block in the cathedral where God lives. You're one piece of this structure where God has chosen to inhabit. Together, All right, and so, I mean, you know there's a difference between a pile of bricks and a building, okay? The church is not a pile of bricks. It's not a random uh, uh, aggregation of people who happen to follow Christ. It's actually ordered and structured, Okay, you need a certain brick here and you need a certain window here and you have to have a door here and it's the architect who designs the structure, but each of us uh, as individual Christians is part of that structure and we are put together into that structure. If we've been followed, called to follow Christ, we've been called to be incorporated into the, into the structure that God is building. Okay, We find our place. This coming Sunday, one, one of the challenges, there are going to be a number of challenges, but one of the challenges that uh, we're going to face this coming Sunday is, is that we have two congregations that are coming together as a single congregation, and we've got to figure out who's going to do what, when, right? And so each service kind of has its own uh, way of doing that. <clears throat> Now all of a sudden we're going to, we're going to jam all of this stuff together and so some of you have been contacted, some of you will be contacted to do different things that need to be done to make, to make church happen and maybe you were on the schedule from before and you're going to see that the schedule is all scrambled so please pay attention to that, those of you uh, who, are, who are on the schedule. The, the point here is, is that each of you are part of what's happening here. When you're not here, there's like a hole in the window. When you're not here in the body of Christ, something's missing and people know that you're not here. Like it doesn't, it doesn't feel right. And the whole structure works when everybody is in place and is doing their little part. It isn't that one person does everything or that we hire people to do church for us. Each one of us does a little something and it works together beautifully when all of us are part of that. Here's what Paul, uh, uh, or here's what Peter writes. This is First Peter, uh, chapter two, verse five. You also, and this is Peter writing to the universal church. You also, as living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. There are a number of functions that the church has. One is to proclaim the gospel, but you know, another function that the church has is just to offer continuous praise to God. Okay? In eternity, there's going to be a lot of singing. Right now in heaven, there's like a lot of singing going on. Okay? There are angels, like that's their full time job, they're singing. But you know, it's the work of the church too. God is so great and God is so glorious. He deserves somebody singing to his praises. And this is what the church does. And it's really important. It's an important part of the work of God. Uh, the, The audience for our worship is God. Okay, It's not you. When you hear the choir sing, they're not singing to you. They're singing to God. When you sing a congregational hymn, you're not singing for the organist. You're singing to God. All right. And it's appropriate that God, God is so beautiful, God is so just, God is so holy. God is so magnificent that he deserves that. And it's one of the functions. And so God has created for himself this thing called a temple, uh, where he lives, and where this wonderful thing, where this wonderful worship can go up. All right, last uh last image. The lamp stand. I don't know if we have lamp stands anymore, but I guess they would have you know, a, a, an oil lamp and they'd stick it up on a metal stand so that it would radiate across the room. Um, there are a couple of places in the Bible that talk about the church as being a lamp in in the world. You remember Jesus, this is in the um, Sermon on the Mount, saying you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do People light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. It's a kind of a beautiful image, but it's, I, to me, I find it very intimidating. A couple of things that are going on in that image. One is, is that, well, why do you need a lamp? You need a lamp because it's dark, right? If everything were sunny and bright, we wouldn't need a lamp. All right. So the fact that God needs the church as a lampstand says something about the darkness of the world. There is darkness in the world, and the church, when it's doing its job, is adding some light to the world. Right? Uh, that, that's that's the, the dangerous reality that surrounds us. The other thing that I find very intimidating about this is that, well, uh, you know, the, the light that we're giving to the world is not our own light. It's a reflected light. It's a light of Christ. I mean, Jesus is the light of the world, and if the church is going to be a light in the world, it's going to be because it's the light of Christ that's coming out of us, right? And so when when we're when the church is doing what it's called to do, it's going to be in the world, kind of channeling or reflecting the light of Christ into the darkness that's all of all around it. One of the descriptions. There is a description in Revelation chapter 2. You'll remember um, in the beginning part of Revelation there's a series of letters to the, to the churches. So John is the bishop over a number of churches in what we would call Turkey today. And um, uh, in, in the Revelation of, of John there's a series of letters from Christ to these individual churches. Um, and, and in chapter 2 it reads this way. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Well, he, of course, this is Christ. Okay, so he's got, he's got seven stars here and he's walking in this space where the, these lampstands are. Well, the lampstands are the churches. Each one of the churches is represented by uh, one, of, one of these, these lampstands, okay, doing the work of Christ. But notice that Christ is amongst them and amidst them. Christ has his own stars that he's lifting up, which are little lights as well. And Jesus says to this church at Ephesus, he has a word of, uh, a word of commendation, then he's got a word of, I don't know, uh, uh, of exhortation. The word of commendation is I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered. You have endured hardships for my name's sake and have not grown weary. This is part of the work of being that lampstand. We're going to be up and we're going to be visible and we're going to be emitting what it is that we've been called to emit and in the midst of the darkness... John has mentioned, or Jesus has mentioned through the mouth of John, some of the kinds of darkness that were surrounding the church at that time. In this case, they're dealing with false prophets. They're dealing with persecution that's going on around the church. The church isn't operating in a sunny environment, which is why we need the church to make the world brighter. If it's not there, oh my goodness, how horrible this world would be if the church were not here. That's the word of commendation to that church. But then there's this word of warning, Uh, maybe exhortation. Yet I hold this against you. I don't ever want to hear Jesus say that. I hold this against you, Dan Morrison. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Their love had grown cold. They had come out of the gate, you know, running full speed ahead. They had been uh, warm in their love for Christ and in their love for the world. I don't know. I don't know what happened. Maybe they got fat and rich. I don't know complacent, tired. And Jesus says, I hold this against you, woo that you've forsaken your first love. So we who are the lampstand of Christ, may we, may we burn brightly. I want you to appreciate the dignity of the church, I want you to understand that it has a holy place in the economy of God in the whole history of the universe. Jesus created the church. He created the world, but in the world, he also created a church, and you're part of that church. This world needs you. The world needs the church. Let us pray. Father God, we honor you and we adore you. And we're kind of amazed that you've called us into this this transcendent thing. To this body of Christ, to this family of God, to this temple. We're amazed that you've called us to be a lamp in a dark world. We're amazed that you've called us to be your bride. Thank you. Help us to live into that reality. Continue to pour out your blessings upon this congregation. And Lord, I pray that as we gather next week, as the whole church, as our two congregations come together uh, into one larger congregation, Lord, I just pray that that would be a a sweet time of celebration and uh, that we would enjoy one another and that you would just be so pleased by what you hear. We pray these things for our blessing, but also for your honor, because you alone are worthy, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.